Exactly. On our second Movie Night Adventure season, we've covered quite a bit of ground, from The Wizard of Oz to The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, Curacao was the Hidden Fortress, Fritz Caraldo, and Romancing the Stone. Tonight, we're going to end this month with one of the greatest films ever made, Lawrence of Arabia. Only two kinds of creature get fun of the desert, Bedouins and gods, and you're neither. Take it from me. For ordinary men, it's a burning, fiery furnace. No, Dryden. It's going to be fun. It is recognized that you have a funny sense of fun. When most people think of the historical epic, they may think of something religious like Ben-Hur or the movie Exodus about the founding of Israel, or maybe Spartacus. However, I guess that many people would think of Lawrence of Arabia. It's been one of the most influential, sprawling epics of all time, even influencing our science fiction from Dune to Star Wars and films like Scorsese's Last Temptation of Christ. Young master, how does it feel to walk on a new world? Exciting, to say the least. The director, David Lean, was no stranger to the historical epic. In 1957, he directed another one of the films seen as the greatest ever made, The Bridge on the River Kwai, an adaptation of the World War II novel by the French author Pierre Boyer about the construction of the Burma Railway by English prisoners of war. When the bridge on the River Kwai was met with a massive success, making 30.6 million, the equivalent of 319 million today, dollars at the box office. Officers, British officer, here to blow up the bridge. Blow up the bridge. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. British commando orders, sir. Blow up the bridge. Yes, sir. Look out the snow. No. Oh. Help! The British director was asked to be any other ideas. The story of T.E. Lawrence, the British archaeologist turned military officer who helped spark the Arab revolt against the Ottoman Empire during World War I, was an insanely popular British legend that had long been considered impossible to make it to a film 
after a dozen attempts had failed. When it was decided we'd make Lawrence, we first of all had to meet with his brother, Professor Arnold Lawrence, because Lawrence, of course, was dead, and all his affairs and his copyrights were in the hands of his brother, and we all thought that the worst thing that he would think was that Hollywood are somehow horning in on seven pillars of wisdom and want to make a Hollywood film. One of the biggest initial hurdles is that T. Lawrence, who had died in a motorcycle accident in 1935, had left the rights to his story to his brother, Professor A.W. Lawrence. Suddenly, this man who faced death a score of times in Arabia meets a tragic end on a peaceful English country road. On his motorcycle, he collides with a cyclist and is rushed to Bovington Camp Hospital, where after lying for six days unconscious, he dies. The crumpled cycle. A.W. Lawrence eventually negotiated a deal where he had a final script approval and allowed the film to be made. But finally was persuaded to do so by David Lean and with Spiegel helping, provided he had ultimate and total script approval of the script when it was written. T. Lawrence had written a book, The Seven Pillars of Wisdom, about his time with the Arabs, which the script was based on. Many of the same people had worked on the bridge on the River Kwai, from producer Sam Spiegel, writer Michael Wilson, actors Alec Guinness and Jack Hawkins, were hired to be part of the Lawrence of Arabia shoot. The starring role, originally intended to be played by Marlon Brando, was played by Peter O'Toole in one of the most legendary performances in British film history. I remember two things I'd read. One... Graves told me that Lawrence apparently never looked at anybody. He made a sort of inventory of everyone's clothes. But uh, Kennington, the sculptor who sculpted him a lot and did all the um, illustrations for Seven Pillars, said this remarkable thing which I'd never understood before, which was that Lawrence reminded him of a middleweight boxer. Most of the Arab characters, from Alec Guinness's Prince Faisal to Anthony Quinn's Auda Abu Taib, were played by non-Arab, non-Middle Eastern actors. You know, of course, that we are destroying the Turkish railways. I do, sir. Major Lawrence is in charge of all this, is he? Now, that's a name I've not heard in a long time. <laughs> a long time. Well, your people do think very highly of Major Lawrence, though. Well, of course I know him. He's me. The one important character played by a Middle Eastern actor in the film was Sharif Ali. This was a composite character that was played by Egyptian actor Omar Sharif because they did not ever conceive of actually thinking, is there an Arab who could play this Arab? On the British side, Claude Rains, known for the Invisible Man and the conniving Captain Reynold in Casablanca, played Mr. Dryden of the Arab Bureau, another conniving, dishonest character. And Jack Hawkins played the General Edmund Allenby. The filming took place in Jordan and Syria. Over a thousand people between the crew and cast helped out with the desert shoot. The sweeping desert, brilliant sky, and endless desolate space could have only worked with the real locations. The film, an almost four-hour-long brilliant spectacle, details largely the Battle of Aqaba, a seemingly impossible undertaking done by Lawrence and the Hashemites behind the back of his commanders, and the taking of Damascus and setting up of the Arab National Council. So much of the legend of T.E. Lawrence is still debated to this day, in a way which seems almost impossible in the modern age. Lawrence's sexuality is a big one. It has long been debated whether he was gay or asexual, including the possibility hinted at in the film that he was raped by Ottoman soldiers during the war. As well as the issue of identity, with Lawrence caught in between a newfound loyalty to the pan-Arab nationalist cause and his identity as a British military officer at a time when the British were scheming to divide up the Middle East. We do not work this thing for Faisal. No. 
For the English then? For the Arabs. The Arabs. The Hawikat, Ajili, Rala, Beni Sahar, these I know. I have even heard of the Harith. But the Arabs? What tribe is that? Lawrence seems to not fit in anywhere, and this is without the fact that he's a child born out of wedlock to a British noble father and thus could not inherit his title. The film itself also deals with the various versions of Lawrence's character. Yes, it was my privilege to know him and to make him known to the world. He was a poet, a scholar, and a mighty warrior. Thank you. He was also the most shameless exhibitionist since Barnum and Bailey. Was he an earnest, heroic pan-Arabist? A shameless, intriguing exhibitionist? These questions are debated from the beginning when you see him die in a motorcycle accident. During the shoot in the desert, Peter O'Toole broke his thumb and hurt his hand when he punched through a window while drunk, dislocated his spine, fractured his skull, was bitten by a camel, tore his groin muscle, and was almost killed being thrown by a camel during the shoot. Lawrence of Arabia stands out as one of the most impressive, spectacular, and technically masterful cinematic achievements in history. It won Best Picture and Best Director, Best Color Cinematography, Best Sound, Best Original Score, Best Art Direction at the 1963 Oscars. Unfortunately, Peter O'Toole did not win Best Actor, as that was the year Gregory Peck would be honored as Atticus Finch. Tonight's show is brought to you by Yabiga, a Balkan Rakia spirit. Go to yabiga.com to order a bottle tonight. Anyway, before I introduce the panel, please like this video and subscribe to the Movie Night Extravaganza YouTube channel. Hit that bell to get notified whenever we're streaming. Also, we are now monetized, so if you have any pressing questions during this live stream, send us a super chat, which helps me keep the show running, and which I am obligated by international law, human rights law, to answer. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash movie night extra. All of our after parties are on there forever. We also have a new Discord and a Letterboxd HQ account. So those are two more places to follow along with us. Links are in the description. Okay, let me introduce the panel. Conan Neutron, host of Britonic Reversal, co-host of Movie Night Extravaganza, and frontman for Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends, neutronfriends.bandcamp.com. Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends has a new split LP with Lung, Adult Prom, available now on Bandcamp. J. Andrew World, illustrator, book cover artist, artist for Gives Them an Argument, co-host for Movie Night Extravaganza, and Bad Takes. Christina Oaks, this Barbie is streaming on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Cosmopolitics. Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky at Cosmopolitics. Send her some subs on Twitch. Jean Bajalon is a Middle Eastern historian and history professor at Missouri State University and has been a contributor to Jacobin and a co-host on This Is Revolution. I, of course, am Forrest Miller, host of 200 episodes. That's right, tonight, Movie Night Extravaganza has hit 200 and we're taking no prisoners. No prisoners! The part of Christina Oaks will be played by Paul Stanley tonight. Gene, welcome back. We had to kick her off the show because there's no women in this No movie. dudes allowed for Lawrence Arabia. Not a woman to be found in the movie or on the panel. Not in the desert, my friends. Well, uh, it's <laughs> nice to be back. It's nice to be back. Thanks for inviting me on to talk about Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, I, I, the last I, time it, we had you on was for, uh, was for Dune. A different and, Sandy movie, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, well, the Sandy movie very much inspired this is by the this. original original yeah. Sandy movie, and obviously, yes. if you watch Dune, not so much the David Lynch one, but the uh, Danny Deville Nerve one, has definitely got that Lawrence of Arabia vibe to it. Oh, I yes. think a lot of movies since Lawrence of Arabia have been trying to catch that Lawrence of Arabia vibe because whatever you say about the movie, it is a spectacle that one rarely sees in cinema. It just looks like it just looks good. The lighting is good. The atmosphere is good. You know, uh, it's an engaging story. It's top-notch mm -hmm. acting. It's just a well-put-together movie. Content-wise, you know, obviously there's, uh, quote-unquote, problematic issues with it. But as a movie, as a work of art, I really don't have much to complain about that. And I think there's a whole genre of British historical movies from the 60s to the like late 70s, which which have a kind of Lawrence of Arabia vibe to them. You know, um, Zulu comes to mind, mm -hmm. Khartoum, another sandy desert movie to yeah. watch. Um, you know, uh, and then even when you get to quite different topics like the uh, Cromwell movie from the 70s, there's, there's kind of this kind of gravitas around the historical movie. And I think uh, Lawrence of Arabia really set the tone for that. Well, and like this is only a couple of years after like Exodus, right? Like the the movie about uh, yeah. the founding of Israel that makes Israel look really cool because Paul Newman's in it, <laughs> right. and like so this is like a you know the the desert epic, right? Is like a, a thing that is very much on the minds of uh, people during this time. I mean, whether it's you know whether it's uh, revisionist, every single one of these stories are revisionist or not. Well, it's also like not explicitly like hey isn't colonialism great <laughs> you know there, there are questions around it as well now i mean that said I, it's it's not exactly hey isn't colonialism maybe not great either like uh but i think none of it works if it isn't as beautiful of a film as it is i mean this is a freaking cool looking film it's like the the overall message colonialism could have been a lot cooler if you let the quirked up white boy with the you know the saudi, right. the saudi arabian uh fucking garb you know, run, run everything. Just, just let him. Uh, I need okay. to. I need to step here. Not Saudi Arabian. Hashemites. Well, oh the yeah. Saudis, well, yeah. Saudis emerged in the 1920s from the deep desert to stab the Hashemites in the back and steal all their like kingdom. Well, they, they, there's the whole thing with uh, Faisal, right? Like Prince Faisal's the character throughout this, and they throw him into Iraq. Like he ends up being the prince of Iraq for like, which he is really, uh... gets, he gets he gets fired, but he gets the consolation prize of uh, Iraq, and his, uh, his 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 relative gets Jordan. Which turned out to be the good one to get if you were a hashtag. <laughs> right, right. Also, uh, got to call out Faisal Alec Guinness, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's uh that's kind of like also, I, I, good performance. What accent exactly was he doing? Like what was? Oh, all right. So I know this. So okay. Omar Sharif, the the one guy that's like Egyptian on the shoot, right? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like a main character. He did a like Alec Guinness copied his voice that he did in like a, in prep school because he was okay. sent to Europe and like you know Britain for prep school and was taught in like British school. So he had like a very specific distinct way of speaking that was like somewhere between an Egyptian accent and a British accent. And uh, so Alec Guinness, I guess, met with him for like four hours and just copied the accent that he used in prep school. Fantastic. All right. Well, yeah, that, that explains that. Well, like Omar Sharif said, he did it really well. Like, okay. I, I don't, right. 
Right. <laughs> I mean, it's unique for sure, and it's 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 something where you know that part doesn't bother me. And uh, I mean, and the titular character too. I mean, uh, Peter O'Toole's depiction. There's something kind of like off by him, which I guess people are taking as queer coded now, yeah. at least on the internet. Um, but it's not a very macho character yeah. portrayal. Uh, it's like- kind of a, um, but it, it's not like I don't even know if queer code is the word. He's kind of a like quirky isn't the word either. He's kind of like a um, like like an almost like uh, fairy like creature. Like he's yeah, like a you know, like a somehow. like a, like a <laughs> he's manic pixie. That's what he is. That's manic the, pixie dream. Dream Lawrence, dream boy, <laughs> dream, dream white boy. <laughs> well, he's but a kind not, of outca- not a bad way. You know, he's an outcast just... in British society. Right, right. Lawrence. So th- that's Lawrence what makes an outcast. And what do you do when you're an outcast? Go do stuff in the empire where God doesn't look. Right, and right. he's in the Arab bureau, bored as you know, bored as the war takes place. And there's a big fight between the India office and the Arab office in in uh, Cairo over who should be kind of directing the war because at this point the it's the Indian army that's deployed to Mesopotamia and then obviously the Egyptians ha- uh, the uh, Egypt which is up until 1914 technically part of the Ottoman Empire right. uh, but is effectively under British occupation uh, you know there's an assault by the Ottomans uh, across the Sinai in order to seize uh, the Suez Canal and cut, obviously, cut the li- lifeblood. And so it's in the conflict, you know, it's in the context of a bureaucratic rivalry in within the apparatus of the British Empire with these competing uh, uh, sort of centers of colonial administration. And then, of course, you have uh, the Ottomans uh, and their German allies attempting to, you know, kind of la- launch these. Uh, assaults uh, across. I mean, the the Turk. The biggest Turkish assault is actually against the Russians, but this is assault towards the Suez Canal. And um, yeah, it's in this context the British are looking for ways to stir up trouble in uh, in the Ottoman Empire. And Faisal and his guys, they've had a spicy relationship with the. Not with the Sultan, but with the constitutional government that's established in the Ottoman Empire in uh, uh, 1908. And, um, yeah, eventually they sign on with the British. And we have, you know, the famous McMahon uh, Faisal correspondence where you have this uh, promise of an Arab state. And, um, you know, Lawrence just goes out there and, you know, we have uh, the Lawrence of Arabia myth, you know, coming into being. And it was a powerful myth. Uh, The Japanese military officer who launched a similar operation in in Manchuria in the 1930s called called himself Lawrence of Manchuria. (laughs) Well, and that that ties into that that movie. (laughs) That Arthur Kennedy character, right? Who is, so uh, the the Jackson, Jackson Bentley, who's the, um, he came to, prominence because uh, he was in death of a salesman the uh, kazan movie yeah uh but like the myth making right of, of like he and like seeing that aspect of it like and seeing lawrence kind of sort of getting high in his own supply after a little while you know and kind of buying into it a, a little bit and being you know the myth making that we think of as, as commonplace now but at the time like like he literally says like you know i want to turn him to a symbol and it's interesting that, that like that became kind of like a template almost 
and and I like I like how um like they portray like the competing interests, right? Like the Bentley character is obviously like you know admits right off the bat to Faisal, like yeah, I'm trying to get the Americans to come into the war by creating like a cool yeah. like a cool guy in the desert to be like he's wagging the dog yeah, yeah, is what yeah. he's trying to do. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and you know it took a really long time to convince because like you know in 1914 Woodrow Wilson had run on like the uh, he kept us out of war slogan. So it was really hard yeah. to bring like the Americans into war, and then there's also the like the idea that you know everybody kind of in the Arab Bureau hates the fact that they're not on the Western Front, and yeah. uh, they're kind of relegated to like the colonial like you know saving the colonial apparatus, which you know they talk about in this. The Suez Canal is like the one thing they really care about. They're like, oh yeah, we got to yeah. protect that because we got to get you know shipping, but like. Uh, we, we yeah, it's really for, for utility and shipping, which yeah. as was should remember when that boat got stuck in it, right? It's still true. <laughs> to, to, well, I mean, <laughs> right now, right now you have uh, you know, the Houthi blocking access to places sure. like the Suez Canal, and you have like literally people freaking out, like Biden sending missile strikes in there because you know the the twelve percent of our shipping still goes through the Suez Canal globally. Like it's right. you know an all important thing that the British would have done pretty much anything to protect. Like. I, I just think that that container ship getting stuck in there in 2021 is funnier. Yeah, no, it was and, very and, funny. And what would be even funnier is if the one after it, whoops, I got stuck too, you know, but <laughs> it didn't happen. No, but but I think that, and that ties into, I think one of the coolest shots is when you see the, when they go into the canal and you see it kind of uh, the boat sort of behind the, the sand dunes. It's such a cool, evocative yeah. image. Uh, especially that. after you know the the sad uh it's like after the quicksand moment where it's like you know you've literally just seen a kid get swallowed up by quicksand which he he says i got that kid killed you didn't really the quicksand got that kid killed yeah. i don't i wouldn't attach that to your body count <laughs> and but, i mean uh, you know growing up in the 80s i kind of can uh can attest to this like like uh, i thought quicksand was gonna be a major part of my adult life that i have to avoid it at all costs and uh, somehow it's just never been an issue as a grown up. I, maybe I like I'm not how, living I like right. how word for word you also said this the last episode. Well, it's adventure <laughs> month. He's allowed, you know. Yeah. I, I, but it was really in 1980s <laughs> cinema and television. It was like you thought it was quicksand around every corner. Yeah, it's true. Uh, he carries the burden with with those with those two kids originally like he carries that like very heavily and blames himself uh for it and it's interesting like there's some pretty stone cold murdering that goes on in here <laughs> in in this film as there was in the actual conflict i'm sure i have i haven't read the, what's the what's the the book the seven, seven pillars of wisdom seven pillars of, i haven't seven read that i actually it, used, it, used it in my phd actually because he writes a bit about kurds and kurdish tribes so I've nice that. i i i uh but he, I mean, he was part of this kind of adventure set as well. You know, there's also yeah. Gertrude Bell, because I think they made a movie about her uh, recently, who was another kind of Lawrence of Arabia type character, a British adventurer, a, an outcast, because she's a woman, obviously, right. in a very male-dominated profession. That was Herzog, right? Like, and, and, uh, Herzog made it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Warner Herzog made that movie. I despise Gertrude Bell. Um she uh, terrible, terrible lady. She um, insulted my uh, grandfather. And oh. uh, one of my cool, cool things I discovered about Gertrude Bell is uh, in the British archives when I was doing my research, I discovered that she'd got robbed by a bunch of Kurds outside of Dierbecker and she had to make an insurance claim. And I found the insurance documents there. Like, <laughs> that probably explains why she ended up being pro-Arab and anti-Kurd was probably all down to that like robbery in 1910 or something like that but you know there was a lot of this these kind of adventuring agents 
not just right. Brits, obviously, going around the Middle East doing archaeology. Lawrence of Arabia did a bit of archaeology. It was a it was a time when people did proper imperial training, right? Yeah. Nowadays, the best the United States can muscle up are Mormons and uh, <laughs> <laughs> missionary work. Yeah, exactly. yeah. back in the <laughs> day, I mean, it was both Gertrude Bell and Lawrence, uh, like four different things right like they'd send them in there and they'd be like oh well we're you know we're doing like an archaeology like an archaeology dig or whatever but they'd actually be mapping out where all like the resources yeah they, were. they i mean if yeah. you yeah. They're, they're basically Extraction. noting down all of the <coughs> tribes and making connections with local leaders but you know these places weren't you know terra incognito for people in the early 20th century europeans have been <laughs> going around there for like a century british uh, anglo persian oil was lurking around the borders of Iraq <laughs> at this time. Lawrence, I, I actually used to call myself Lawrence of Missouri, coming out here to yeah meet yeah. meet the meet the the savages of the Ozarks region. <laughs> yeah, but I thought in Springfield you'd have to like paint yourself yellow and and get bug eyes and and have only three fingers to be able to. That's uh, Joplin, buddy. That's Joplin. You know, <laughs> Springfield's the big city. Um. But yeah, you you know you have this. Lawrence is a kind of a, a interesting character uh, who wrote, uh, who had a media presence at the time. Yeah, you know? uh, and his legend it was a real you know it wasn't something that was created by the movie, but certainly it's been sustained by the movie because when you think of Lawrence of Arabia, you're not thinking of Lawrence of Arabia. You're thinking of the movie. You're thinking of Peter O'Toole and like Peter the sweeping O'Toole. vistas, and yeah, that's you're... what you're thinking about when you think of Lawrence of Arabia. So the movie kind of extended that legend for, I mean, because you know, without the movie, I suspect Lawrence would be a far more obscure. At no, least in America, start... right? Like, uh, well, like... he would, he would be if you even in America, he would be like, I don't know. He'd be someone like if you kind of knew a bit about history or you liked adventurers and stuff you'd know yeah. about, but he wouldn't be the household name that he is today. But of course, the, there is a kind of insidious message to this movie, which is uh, that Lawrence is going to savages, right? Uh, you know, these are like desert dwelling savages, completely ignoring, you know, a century of Ottoman modernization and the fact that. You know, a lot of people joining the Arab revolt were disaffected military officers. A second thing, uh, you know, who had served in the Ottoman army, trained by Germans, educated in, you know, if not in Europe, but in European language schools. You know, this was a period where everybody was being, uh, you know, talking about constitutionalism and liberal political values. And... Um, the image you get from the movie, it's it's that Lawrence is coming and like awakening these people to their true national, you know, national identity. When in fact, you know, the reality was, for example, most Arabs were remained loyal to the Ottoman military, and uh, you know, this wasn't a mass movement. This was largely uh, disaffected tribes and a bunch of pissed off um, military officers. Who, who well, kind of... and and you get uh you get when they're mapping the like the world out um like after this right like it's the British and the French yeah. who don't really know that much about 
I mean anything, right? Like they're not they're not trying to pay attention to the various distinctions between the tribes. You have very modern cities, and then you have the British going, yeah, but like we like the Bedouin, like we like Bedouin leaders that we kind of just you know found in the desert more than we like you know the the more modern uh, citizenry of all these countries that are that have their own identities already, that have their own allegiances to the Ottomans already. We can't really control those people though because they're just people. So yeah, no, we're gonna yeah, take. It, I mean, this is literally yeah. how. There's a great book by Toby Dodge called Inventing Iraq, which really lays out what you've just uh, said. Like, uh, you know, the British came to the Middle East. Uh, they certainly had knowledge, in a sense, uh, like at least when compared to when, let's say, the Americans turn up in the Middle East, right? The British had a long history of diplomatic in, uh, interaction with the region, agents and spies, missionaries, all these people have been traveling the regions. Before. There, there was information that, uh, out there. But of course, that information was skewed through their particular uh, prejudices as 19th century uh, uh, British people and imperialists. And so, you know, the, uh, uh, as you said, you know, amongst the British officials, uh, especially in Iraq, there was this mythology around the Bedouin being these free, you know, uh, people and some misunderstandings uh, of Bedouin life basically led the British to empower a whole bunch of kind of con men uh, right. in, in rural parts of, of the Middle East. Basically, I mean, as Americans uh, are still doing in the Middle East. Pretty much still what Americans are doing. Yeah. And, and then, and, disempowering the urban elites, which they saw as oriental and corrupt when those were the kind of nucleuses of modern bourgeois society where you had civil society, uh, uh, you know, people followed the news, you know, people followed world events, people, right. you know, even if people weren't literate, people would sit in cafes and listen to someone read the newspaper to them and things like that. So these were societies in the, uh, in the, in the kind of throes of, of modernization. And, uh what happens with the arab revolt in the end and the partition of the ottoman empire is um a lot of this kind of modernization is there's a kind of brakes put on it there's there's kind of things jammed in the wheels and the british and french based on their own prejudices of middle eastern societies being pre-modern savages you know you see the yeah. image in this movie where we don't really see the uh, Sharifian officers, we just see a bunch of uh, tribal leaders, and and even when we talk about tribal leaders, tribal leaders in the 19th century weren't living on the moon, right? Like uh, <laughs> tribal leaders uh, were themselves changed by the processes of modernization, right? They would become landowners in ways that they weren't landowners before. They would use modern politics and civil society and influence in ways that tribal leaders, you know, 300 years ago would have done. So these so-called traditional kind of communities themselves were often transformed in the process of modernization. Lawrence of Arabia presents the, uh, the story of Arab liberation as being Lawrence turns up and, you know, helps a few forward-thinking leaders to, you know, lead the Arabs to Damascus, only for them to just, like, start fighting with each other and, you know, ruin their opportunity and the, the British government, which is a complete, uh, you know, it's a, it's a completely perverse narration of what happened at the end of the Arab revolt. There's an excellent new book 
uh, I don't know when it was published, a couple of years ago, called How the West Stole Democracy from the Arabs uh, uh, by Elizabeth Thompson. And, you know, this is a book that is detailing actually what really happened was that Faisal and his guys got to Damascus. They attempted to establish a constitutional government. Um, uh, One thing I disagree with Thompson on this says it's the first constitutional government like a with full equality in the Arab world. Well, the Ottoman Empire was in the Arab world and they had a constitution as early as, as 1876. But it was a period when you had Islamic reformers, secular Arab nationalists uh, coming together to try and build a kind of constitutional regime. Would it have been perfect? Would it have been a utopia? No, but it's probably better than what happened once the Europeans arrived. Because what we see, as I said, with the British, you see the kind of uh, uh, beggaring, uh, you know, the, the, after, after booting him out of Damascus, Faisal gets shipped off as a consolation prize to being king of Iraq. And, uh, you know, he wasn't a great king. You know, he wasn't that good. He was kind of hampered. Uh, I, I heard a rumor that, uh, I don't know if it's true, but I was told it by a pro-Hashemite Iraqi diplomat who I know, um, uh, that apparently King Faisal was crowned on his throne, was actually just boxes of Asahi beer. So he had a palace in my, uh, in my family's hometown as well. So he had a little winter palace there. But, you know, in, in Iraq, you have this society which the British divide up into tribes and, you know, really maintain these kind of, uh, differences in the society and the French they even go even crazier like you know there's a Druze region there's a, they there's like uh a, you know they create Lebanon as a Christian majority region they split up uh uh Halepo from Damascus and you know like try and really do this divide and conquer so the Europeans come in and it's not that the social cleavages and religious cleavages that existed in the Middle East uh, you know, uh, didn't exist before the Europeans turned up, right? Like they didn't, the Europeans didn't invent these things, right. but a lot of these sectarian differences and tribalism and things, those were reified by colonial po- policies. They were, you know, they were, they were um, given a new lease of life. So the great historian of Iraq, Hanan Batuta, you know, he talks about, you know, prior to the British, there's a process of detribalization as people begin to move to the cities and, 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 and like experience modernity. Uh, and this is reversed uh, in, during the, the, the colonial period. So colonialism brings barbarism. And what we're presented in in the Lawrence of Arabia is a picture, the, you know, the quintessential white savior, although, right. like, you know, Colonialism as a cure to barbarism instead. Yeah, like uh, the enlightened colonialist. uh, It's a colonialism that can critique itself. Yeah. In a sense, you know, it can critique the, you know, bumbling bureaucrats who don't really get the pulse of the people on the, on the ground. But in the end, the colonialism is a redeeming, uh, is a redeeming quality, you know, is a, a redeemable quality. Well, and and you get it like to the point where it's a bit much. Where you know you have um you have Lawrence getting shot in the arm and then putting his hand on the wound for a second and literally having a stigmata uh, and standing on above everybody on the um you know on on like the the you know derailed train and it's both a you know it's both a portrait of his own egoism but also kind of 
how he's portrayed within the movies in the context of you know bringing the Arabs to Damascus. Like it's it's kind of right. this um it, like you know almost biblical, biblical. pseudo religious like, yeah. biblical. But think yeah. about it this way: so they tried to make this film uh, nine years earlier, and there were some significant changes to the earlier version. Not the least of which is uh, John Wayne was going to play Lawrence. No. True. I'm here to save Arabia, pilgrims. So if so <laughs> if anybody is thinking that it seems sus with, you know, uh, the uh, uh, Muadib here, uh, Peter O'Toole, uh, in that role, can you imagine if it was John freaking Wayne? I mean, like, that's... He would, he would just, well, he played he Genghis just, Kong, so I think he has the range to do it. He would just keep killing Arabs and be like, what? They're indigenous. I, I, I can't stop myself. But I think it's it's notable too because I, I, there, uh, I'm curious the, the real, the real Lawrence, real T. Lawrence versus the Peter O'Toole uh, depiction because because there is something kind of kind of fascinating about this character in the fact that again there, there's I, I was calling it getting high in his own supply right uh, during the course of the story as he gradually becomes more. <laughs> Well, well I should I, I should preface this by saying that I am not a Lawrence of Arabia aficionado or scholar sure. by any means. Although I've read his writings, so for example, his uh, uh, you know his writings on the tribes, on the Kurdish tribes specifically, which is actually the section I studied the most of his. And interestingly enough, his archive is also held in my hometown of Hull for some yeah. reason. Okay. Yeah. There's an archive center there, so it's in, in my anyway. So his uh, uh, Lawrence of Arabia's writings demonstrate uh, a knowledge of the society, right? He's not, you know, he's it's not Thomas Friedman level. Like he speaks to a taxi driver in broken Arabic, and he thinks, no, he's a guy. And and think about the time he's doing, you know, like he's living. You know, if you wanted to travel out in the Middle East, there's still, you know, the Berlin-Baghdad railway is still under construction, so there's no trains all the way. Uh, you, ha you have the Hejaz railway, the one, interestingly enough, the railway that they blow up the, is the Hejaz railway, which was an which was an interesting project. It was a railway uh, built to connect da Damascus to the Hejaz for the sake of the pilgrimage. And it was a huge cause of lab around the world because... Uh, you know, a lot of the railway concessions in the Ottoman Empire were granted to foreign companies. But this railway was built not with Turk, uh, entirely with Ottoman capital, but through subscriptions from around the Islamic world. It was a huge pan-Islamic uh, project. It was a huge point of pride, not just for Ottomans, but for the entire Islamic world, because it was right. a demonstration that the power of Islam could, you know, bring this modernization project. So like this this railway was an important bloody railway like not just physically was symbolically a huge was, had been seen or at least presented as a huge achievement for Islamic civilization you know built not by one country but by the entire Islamic world to service this important uh, I don't know where the fuck I was going with this but what I'm saying <laughs> is that um to travel around these regions Lawrence of Arabia you know he had to get by. He didn't have a bloody phone. There weren't like easy right. tourist services. You know, he his contacts in local towns would be local missionaries who'd been down. A lot of Americans, actually, tons of Americans out there. In fact, the American missionaries are probably better than the entire 
uh, U.S. foreign uh, foreign office uh, State Department these days because you know when you fly out to be the mission, you know the vice consul in Bitlis in 1910 you aren't like getting on an airplane back for the weekend in paris you're out there for like two years right right drinking the water eating food so lawrence of arabia was operating in the middle east where to get around you would have to develop some kind of local local knowledge and understandings but of course he has his own prejudices and also the informants from whom he gets information are also able to shape and manipulate his perceptions sure. of particular uh, communities there. And there's a lot of different, there's a lot of guys like Lawrence of Arabia. There's a guy called Major Sohn uh, who has a book called Through Mesopotamia and Kurdistan in Disguise. And he, you know, like he was a, like an important officer. It's, I think he was in Iran during the First World War. But before the First World War, he he has a similar type of story to Lawrence of Arabia, except it's not happening at wartime, where he basically, uh, he nearly gets arrested because his Persian is so good that they say, you're not really (laughs) British, you're actually a Persian constitutionalist trying to get out. And he's like, no, I really am. But but he doesn't have any bloody papers to prove it. They're just thinking, there's some freaking Persian constitutionalist revolutionary. uh, uh, who's uh, who's doing this? And you know, he ends up, um, you know, serving a powerful Kurdish tribal leader as as his uh, secretary for for a while. Um, and his accent, he expl- he has a kind of weird accent in Kurdish, and he goes, "It's because I'm from Azerbaijan." And then he gets caught because he says the wrong thing the wrong day, and they work out. So you know, there's a lot of these adventure dudes who go out there, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, to, you know. Uh, and get to know the culture with all their prejudices going into it. But having prejudices doesn't necessarily mean you don't have some deep understanding of a culture, right? Uh, You know, in fact, some of the most dangerous people, you know, when it comes to like uh, committing genocide against Native Americans, uh, have deep intimate knowledge of Native American society. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I mean, Andrew, Andrew I mean, that's what that whole uh, Power Moon uh, movie is all about, isn't it? I haven't seen it, but I'm yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah about to watch that. I'm about to watch it this week. But like Andrew Jackson adopted, I think, three Native American kids like that's as an example of somebody who uh, ended up being kind of deeply and was given like a Native American title, like as someone who was probably one of the most genocidal uh, presidents we've had in terms of Native Americans. And he kind of. I, which is which is a, a topic I wanted to bring up. Uh, like before you do that, the, yeah. the next episode we're doing is Killers of the Flower Moon, and yeah, yeah Robert De Niro is with the, the, the Osage, and it's it's actually very timely for you to bring that up because again, it's it's literally the next episode that we're doing, uh, and uh, so that that's going to start month of coverage. So, so, go. So, so you know, my my point is, you know, when we talk about Lawrence of Arabia and his generation of people, uh, you know, they were knowledgeable of these societies. You right. Know, it doesn't. It's not that they thought that you know here be dragons on the map necessarily. Exactly. <laughs> they had knowledge of these societies. Here they be Arabs. Deep, they had deep prejudices. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah, for right. example, they were often prejudiced against saying like you know these people calling for a constitution in uh, in Iran and the Ottoman Empire. They're just like secretly. They're just like a licentious mob who wants to be corrupt under. But they need a strong, firm hand. Of a of a sultan to keep him in, or you know, you would have these kind of prejudiced 
beliefs that uh, and of course that is ultimately the argument that is put forward to impose colonial rule on the arabs following the first uh, uh, first world war the arabs are recognized as a nation on one hand but at the same time they're recognized as being a primitive nation and one in need of right. a colonial guide to a gentle that, hand a gentle hand <laughs> and you know you have this thing called the mandate system developed the after the first world war which is this curious compromise between the principle of national self-determination and colonialism where it's like we're going to set up a colonial regime but don't worry guys we're here to help you join the league yeah, of well, that's, that's like the that's like the wilsonian uh Thing where it's like you know we'll bring everybody into the league of nations but if you're not white you're you're kind of mandate like you know what i mean there's yeah, a, you get you get you get and they, they even had like a mandates b like if you're a bloody polynesian you're down in the c mandates like they're just gonna yeah c mandate you and um, uh, so i so i had a like before before we move too far off this i was thinking about uh like the concept in this of going native you know what I mean? Like, cause they, they ask mm -hmm. at one point in this, uh, have you gone native? Yeah. yeah. And so the original person that was, um, like supposed to play besides John Wayne, which would have been the worst for insane. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but, like it ruins his, and, and honestly, Alec Guinness actually, uh, w wanted to play Lawrence, but they thought he was too That's old, a name which... I have not heard in a long time. Anyway. Um, so, so, so <laughs> that was an earlier version person, too, but the, they were the other original right. person, uh, Marlon Brando. And right, I right. feel like, um, you know, a, a Brando probably could have pulled it off. He probably yeah. Pulled yeah. Off. yeah. Yeah. No, John sure. Wayne, probably not. And, we're, and we would all be, John Wayne probably would not have pulled it off to the same degree. Brando, if he'd been in it, we'd be talking about how this was Brando's best freaking piece. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so, but like looking at something like Apocalypse Now, uh, that is Brando's, uh, you know, thing of going native pretty much, right? Like his Colonel Kurtz is, That's right. um, yeah. uh, like yeah. jo joining, joining, uh, the, the enemy side and going native pretty much and creating his own mini fucking empire on like the, the, the shores of Vietnam. That's actually bong bong Marcus is, uh, <laughs> um, like, uh, Philippines for, you know, whatever, but <laughs> I don't well, know why I, mean, I like, you could, like saying you that could... name. Bong you because it sounds yeah. like the Wu Tang Clan is, is, is making a nickname for him. Is what it sounds like. But it, you know, it comes down to this. It's like you know, the whole going native thing is. It's. I mean, it's more just about British culture, isn't it? Really, you know. Yeah. I, you know, some people do go. You know, you go. You never want to go full dances with wolves, but um, <laughs> you know, right. people. Some people do go dances with wolves. Some people just enjoy it as a kind of liberatory. Uh, experience to escape the especially for middle and upper class British people it's quite a stifling society you know uh, we're coming out you know at, <laughs> well, yeah tired of being what probably was yeah. you know probably was this was like a method of adventure you know for people he's like oh my god I'm so sick of being British I'm so sick <laughs> of living here we're sick of it too uh, by the way all love for Wu-Tang Clan I don't mean that as an insult enough just so you know, <laughs> uh, you know it, it's funny. I recently, actually this month, also saw Life and Times of Colonel Blimp, which is another uh, Powell and Pressburger movie and something of a lampoon of a British military culture, but at the same time, like a very powerful, like anti-war movie. And it's interesting to me that how that had a hard time uh, being out in the world because it was considered too subversive in that way. 
Whereas I feel like oh, there's a lot of things in Lawrence that it gets away with being kind of subversive, but you kind of have to like think about it a little bit. I mean, I'm thinking about like that in scene um, where uh, Faisal and, and all them are, you know, was it the young men make wars and the virtues of war, the virtues of young men, courage and hope for the future, then old men make the peace and the vices of peace are the vices of old men. You know, it just reminds me of like, you know, Godfather, where they close the door on on, on her, and like at the, at the end of the first movie, or or even an Oppenheimer, using a more recent example, where they got their bomb, they don't need your ass anymore. They're gonna, they're yeah. gonna go divide this up now, you know. <laughs> it's like thanks, and, and peace. you have no, and you have no. I dropped uh, the bomb. Yeah. I dropped the bomb. <laughs> Tell me your story, walking in Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Do you think they give a fuck about who built the bomb? Gary Oldman. I like I like imagining uh, Gary Oldman going native, and his version of that is that he's he's in like Kansas City. He's like selling hats in Kansas City. And he's like, <laughs> I mean, he I'm gonna pop on down to Joplin, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna have myself a good old time with the boys. A lot of <laughs> Negroes down there, but we know how to keep them boys in, in check. <laughs> well, she did the opposite of that in True Romance. Well, exactly. It's good to get a vacation down in the Ozarks. It's going to be a whole thing. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, Touch his heart out with a spoon. <laughs> uh, but no, but but you know what I mean when I say that, where, where it's just like there's these these moments in, well, they happen in real life, too. But when they're depicted in film, especially after an epic as long as this, where, you know, Lawrence wants to stay involved. And it's like, no, this is not. This is not your thing anymore, it's man. Above we're, we're take- it's above his pay grade. This is like, yeah. a, you know, like it's way above his pay grade. And the British are like making an absolute, like there's all these agreements. You know, uh, often the po- British policy uh, during the First World War is portrayed as being this kind of like super devious, like deliberately premeditated attempt to trick the Arabs. When in fact, the reality is like the British are like, really distracted at other places and they're making all kinds of fucking promises to deal with these this this war right yeah, yeah. promises being made to the arabs promises uh being made to the zionist movement and of course promises being made to the french and in the hierarchy of promises the arabs did not uh did not not do well. Don't look yeah. at the comments while you're talking ever. It's, it's, the, it's the worst idea. I know. I know about the comments. I mean, you guys, you guys have seen TIR. That yeah, comment section yeah. is wild. Just, just uh, we just have to, to take it off the screen. Yeah, because it nearly gave uh, Pascal a heart attack. <laughs> no, but it's. Oh, it's yeah. I, I think I think all those are great points. I mean, and it, it's it's notable too that. Uh, you know they're dividing up, right? Of course. What else do you do after you win? Uh, you know, and, and and there's there's a, a back and forth. Nobody's happy, so therefore it's a compromise. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, which is great considering like the historical era that this is in and everything that comes after, right? It's like the, oh, okay. the, no one's happy. The one, huh? Cool. The one thing is, I, I mean, the concept of like interests, right? Like uh, the one thing that really you know is is motivating stuff. I think after the war, very fast is like the like the oil. Like, oh, we yeah. can strike, like there's a desert and we can strike oil in that desert. And I don't necessarily think that that's uh, motivating things as the war is going on. But the second the war ends, you, you definitely. Yeah, it becomes, exactly. It becomes yeah. a factor. Yeah. Stru- yeah. uh, you know, re- imperial policy is uh, sometimes it can be quite pre- uh, premeditated, but especially in big empires, you know, there's often a lot of moving parts moving against each other. Uh, 
sometimes moving in completely different directions and where they want to go. So, of course, at the end of the war, the British have, it's actually the British who overpromised to everybody at the uh, end of the war, and the Arabs kind of get shafted. So it kind of sucks for the, it sucks for them. Uh, and the Arabs got shafted. Kurds got shafted even worse than the Arabs. Right. And the Arabs got shafted, except for the Palestinians, who obviously got extra shafted. And so, uh, you know, you have this whole Middle East, uh, like, put it this way, Lawrence of Arabia is a movie that's depicting the historical moment where a lot of the nonsense taking place in the Middle East today, at least in the form that it's taking, got set on that track. Absolutely. uh, as As it were. And well, and it's the concept of like world war. Like, of course, I mean, you know, like by the time World War II comes around, obviously there's a little bit more uh, like, okay, maybe we have to figure out like a new world order to kind of, um, or like an international order to kind of fix things. That was not, you know, things were just kind of moving during World War One, like uh, in real time. And it's like, nobody was really, I mean, like you have kind of Wilson coming in as like person at the end of the war that's like, well, maybe we should set up some kind of, you know, like league. But, like, during the war, everyone's just kind of like... Yeah, you know, Woodrow uh, Wilson, you know, we can we can contemn his globalism while still celebrating his strong domestic tradition of white supremacy. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, he's the birth of a nation president, you know? He did he's so much. Na- but he was he a did, good, he was so a good liberal internationalist. He did so much for cinema. He had the first screening of, a, you know, a, a big movie in uh, in the White House. It was Birth of a Nation. My and- word, we're going to get ourselves a movie <laughs> in the White House tonight. And it's a stern historical error. <laughs> have some fine young gentlemen and their defense of the United States of America against m- the crime of miscegenation. <laughs> Which well, apparently you know, he, the, New he, uh, York, the New York Times is, uh, is uh, uh, publishing anti-miscegenation articles these days. Oh. Well, apparently this, this week also... Uh, like uh, I saw a David Frum article in the Atlantic that's like we need to uncancel Woodrow Wilson. Which bitch who can't like? <laughs> what do you what do you mean cancel? What is what does that entail? When it's bringing him back for life. For that's years. what it is. They're making He's Woodrow Wilson woke. Yes, yeah. <laughs> woke Wilson. <laughs> People are talking about it more. And more. Ironically, the first ironically you have like Wilson being like you know the the big white supremacist president Calvin Coolidge who gets uh, who gets put in there with like Reagan. I mean, pretty much, like you know, as his like ideology, he was the first woke president. He was the, he was the guy that's like, hey, maybe let's not be so mean to the black people in D.C. Like we we should use their pronouns or whatever. Can you, can you imagine <laughs> woke Woodrow Wilson? Now today I'm here to talk to you fine gentlemen about the struggles that independent black women suffer in the workplace and the intolerable travails they face. Due to structural racism and hair discrimination, like this he's is like, gonna... he's like and I should and I should know about <laughs> structural racism. I helped create it, and I'm here to. He's doing the Joe Biden. I helped create it, and I'm here to dismantle it, and then doesn't. I'm here to dismantle. Yeah, he's here. (laughs) That's another. I'm going to have to tell Jason. We've got a new because we've already come up with several new ideologies on uh, TIR. We have uh, Calhounism, Leninism. And uh, Jefferson, uh, Pol Pot, Jefferson Davis thought. There you go. 
Because well, whatever you say about the Confederate States of America, whatever you say about them, at least they fought the Yankee imperialists. I was I was gonna say it isn't isn't like Pol Pot uh fucking isn't that just isn't that just what it already was like kind of basically like a a new version of Confederacy. Pol, Pol, Pol Pot, yeah, maybe that's what we need. That's what we they're need. They're fighting the they're fighting the Vietnamese Yankees, you know. Exactly. All right, not to derail us and put us back onto the movie we're covering, but oh, I, I, have, I have a clip. I have a clip to get us back. Okay, to the movie cool. We're okay, I was gonna you. say because <laughs> entertaining as it is, it's a totally different show. Yeah, this is where this is this is this is revolution. You know, it's the it's the side. Exactly. It's Tune the side. in for that. For Woodrow woke his approach had been Lawrence, <laughs> which of the many interpretations he'd adopted. He talked with Kenneth Griffiths, the actor, and a friend of O'Toole's on the balcony of his Almeria villa. I hate to define, particularly when I'm working on a character, because I am, um, I find this uh, embalms him and he becomes an immortel rather than a, a living thing. Um, I came to it by a great deal of research and study, but without any conscious I mean, I, I'm taking to task a lot about this, that I should synthesize, but I won't, and I can't. Um, I'll give an example of how I came to it. Uh, I remember um, sitting in a black tent in a place called El Jaffa, and we were talking about Lawrence to a lot of Arabs. And someone said, oh, Abdi would know better, and they shouted for this man, and in clanked a huge Sudanese gentleman of about 80. And he was a slave, and now a freed slave, whom uh, Abu Dabutai, who was one of Lawrence's chief warriors, gave to Lawrence to look after him. And he, someone said, what did Lawrence look like? He pointed at me and said, him. Well, needless to say, we I grabbed him and we talked and talked and talked and he worked on the picture. He made the coffee, in fact. And uh, one day I was playing a scene and he said, um, I was sort of talking to someone and being rather remote and looking all over the place. And he said, a battle, a hero, doesn't look here or there or up or down. He gives someone the plane of his face. I remember two things I'd read. One, Graves told me that Lawrence apparently never looked at anybody. He made a sort of inventory of everyone's clothes. But uh, Kennington, the sculptor who sculpted him a lot and did all the um, illustrations for Seven Pillars, said this remarkable thing which I'd never understood before, which was that Lawrence reminded him of a middleweight boxer. And at that moment, something very important clicked. And uh, I knew exactly what Abdi meant by the plane of his face, which was this. And the eyes didn't travel over the, the clothes, but they were aware of the hands and aware of everything that was going on. And it was at once withdrawn, as a boxer must be, and at the same time, very penetrating. And this one physical thing 
really clicked and it made a whole difference to the way I played him. Now, this is the way I work. I yeah. can't work with a yeah. sort of exact science to mix. Yeah. What about his height, Peter? He was a very short man and you're a very tall man. Do you make any effort as an actor to think like a small man? No, uh, no, no. Uh, I've always said when anyone asks me about Lawrence, his inches, I always say it's a question for his tailor, not his interpreter. And that's probably a bit flip. But there's nothing I can do. I don't think it's really all that important anyway. And I'm certainly sure he never thought as a small man. Yeah. And I happen to be eight foot five, as you clearly implied. Yes. And uh, I can't chop off my legs and roam around on bloody stumps. So I really have had to disregard. These experiences that you had from people who knew him and uh, the extraordinary things you've seen, have they in themselves deepened your <coughs> knowledge of Lawrence? Oh, yes. Um, the desert, I think, primarily. I remember before I went to the desert, um, uh, someone told me that, um, I mean, desert, the desert is where God was born. Um, literally, one is so alone there. Um, and this man told me that uh, uh, the desert, it's so implacable and so indefatigable. There's nothing that a man can do and that this gives one a kind of peace and i had uh, thoughts of this very lonely very lonely tormented gentleman super cerebral old thing that he was arriving in the desert and finding his peace well i got there and i found for my money anyway that indeed what happens is it is as i say um, so vast and unremittingly hard that you can't win and you know you can't win and then you have a go and this implies a great deal of strange things maybe masochistic which i think he felt what about this fetish with cleanliness you're not all that fussy yourself so what do you <laughs> think of this um <laughs> Cleanliness is next to godliness, I think. A nice little rule he learned from his very, very strict mum. Mm. And also, um, a psychiatrist told me, it's evidenced in Shakespeare quite a lot, the Scottish play, for instance. Mm. Uh, guilt. The hands never come clean and all that. Mm. And he loved the desert. He used to say it was clean. It's clean. What were some of the things that you heard and read that were important to you about deciding you which way you were going to go? Oh, there's so many, many things. Um, I remember speaking to a sheikh in Amman. The first Arab I met who knew him. And uh, I'd given up asking questions like, what was he like? Like, how was it? I, I used to try sort of tricky things. And I said to him, did he ever tell jokes? At which point he went into a great stream of Arabic with tears trickling down his face, laughing like a drain. Now, I had not the faintest idea what he said, but clearly Lawrence had been very, 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 very funny at one point. And I kept on finding more and more evidence of this. He was a great humorist. Mm. And um, uh, one of them told me about the time that 
he questioned him for hours about the camel grazing in Piccadilly. And Lawrence gave very solemn replies to all this, whether Oxfordshire was a desert country. And then again, um, on another level, um, his descriptions of some of the things in, in Seven Pillars he did, like the killing of a man, the execution of a man. He had to execute him to keep two tribes from warring with each other and would split up a whole thing and ruin the whole adventure. So he chose, because he had no tribe, I wouldn't offend anybody to shoot the man. He describes it very coldly. Very nice. It, it, in, in the chat, I was reminded, um, Prometheus, the Fassbender character, who bears a striking resemblance to Peter O'Toole, that Android character is obsessed with Peter O'Toole in Lawrence of Arabia and like quotes him and it does like the match thing and, and all oh, that. Yeah. Uh, which is just another of the many, you know, propagations of uh of media that this has. And of course we we have to mention Stargate because like there's whole scenes and the uh <laughs> the orchestral score from the film is is uh heavily lifted from uh this, this movie. So, you know, th there's your Stargate reference, people. Be happy, our two other traps. <laughs> there you go. Moving to extravaganza bingo. We can, it wouldn't be the 200th episode if there wasn't a Stargate reference. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, uh, Gene, you, you want to do final thoughts uh, about, about this? I mean, uh, Peter O'Toole, they don't make actors like that very often. Yeah. A Yorkshireman. Well, effectively a Yorkshireman from Leeds. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell yeah. him he's, got, he's got a bit of a Leeds accent. He, uh, he, Yorkshireman he, proxy. He fractured his spine fractured his skull uh like on the shoot um like he was he was like famously like an alcoholic who eventually got sober like uh you know and then a big part of his thing was talking about how he got sober but like uh he punched through a he got drunk gambled away all his money that he made on the film during the shoot punched through a caravan window broke his hand uh punching through that caravan window got thrown off a camel and then another camel bit him so he was he was really living like the you know the lords of arabia uh pain level i guess throughout this shoot the wild man. Yeah. He went native. He, he went native. <laughs> he, went, he went on a bender, basically. Uh, Gene, it's always so great to have you on, man. It's, it's Well, thank you so much for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Especially for um, a momentous 200th episode. We'll have to yes, find another I'm movie. I'm honest with the... it. I'm, you've come a long way. We'll find I'm another honest. movie set in the desert and we'll bring you on again. You know, I'm always here for desert action, but only I'm only on for desert movies. Right. Yeah. yeah then you're going to finally do Stargate. You're, uh, we can have you on. you're a desert, our desert movie correspondent. I'll be like, the desert oh, movie correspondent. You, yeah. you kind of are. That's, you know what? Yes. That make it so. <laughs> Absolutely. We can talk about Dune when it finally drops. I, mm. I'm looking forward to it, actually, despite disliking both, uh, both uh, Timothee and uh, Zendaya. I'm looking forward to it. You really? You don't, you don't, you're not you're not a you're not a big uh, Chalamet Chalamet guy. I'm just getting sick of seeing him. It's like Adam Driver's yeah. and everything. It's like Jesus Christ, get this kid have to be in everything. He's Wonka. From, Who asked for him to do Wonka? He was uh, he was I think he was like Henry the Fifth. I want to say in the movie oh or something. And he and the, the guy I think the guy from Twilight was the French king. <laughs> that sounds like a actual nightmare to me but peace and love for people that enjoy that hey it is a pleasure guys and thank you thanks for you. inviting me guys thank Bye -bye. you thanks for coming on take care brother bye there he goes gene vagelon so yeah uh Peter O'Toole's character is it. I forgot all about that i think it's prometheus right it's not is in well is the character's in covenant as well but like yeah 
I think he even quotes some stuff from Lawrence of Arabia on uh, in that film. If I remember it's correctly. been a while since I've seen it, so so it's well because he goes a little Colonel, Colonel Kurtz too. Yeah, right? you know, spoiler alert to Prometheus, which frankly wasn't that good. So I'm doing yeah, favor. you don't need to watch it, y'all. By the way, we have a we have a super <laughs> chat that's another quote from. Uh, Lawrence of Arabia. No Arab loves the desert. We love the water and green trees. There's nothing in the desert. No man needs nothing. That's right. This is a great. This is a very quotable movie. I mean, obviously, yeah. it was the the one that I threw in, um, also about the young man making wars and old men making the peace. But like, it's again doubly hilarious because there's just not a woman to be found with a speaking role in this entire film. Uh, yeah. Anywhere. <laughs> But, which, but uh, which of you, you know, if, if you look into the the history of Lawrence of Arabia, I'm not sure he was ever uh, even in the room with a woman. <laughs> yeah, when those nuns show up towards the end, I'm just like, wait, whoa, <laughs> who brought the dames? Who are these strange creatures? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like when you go to like a party or something, you're like, oh, uh, all right, there's women here now. All right, guys, guys, you know, kind of, you know, behave. <laughs> Yeah, it's, you know, I really, I was realizing I haven't really seen tons of stuff uh, with Peter O'Toole. And, and when I have, it's been like, you know, a ladder. I mean, isn't he in Ratatouille? <laughs> like, if I remember correctly, like he's, he's in like, he's in The Last Emperor. I remember that, uh, which is uh, interesting because that's, um, uh, what, 87? Like uh, Bernardo Bertolucci. So he's in there as an older man. Like, he's in like a bunch of stuff, but he's always this dude I've been more familiar with than have seen. And I saw... I've seen Lawrence of Arabia all the way through one time, which was this week. And the rest of the time, it was like, it was kind of just permanently on cable for a while. So I would like keep it on for a while because I'm like, oh, this looks amazing. You know, I don't know what the hell's going on, but like this, like it looks amazing. Like the look of it is utterly fantastic. And uh, to the point that they had like lenses that were um, like, remember we were talking about, uh, you know, making larger lenses uh, lenses for uh, bigger shots with a uh, hidden fortress and using widescreen, right? There's a 482 millimeter lens that they made for uh, the Omar Sharif entrance, like where it looks like a mirage and it's super far. And a lot of people bag on this scene. I'm like, I don't know why you're bagging on it. It's like awesome because you see him come from like super far away and come in. And apparently that, that was with a special lens uh, made from Panavision and it's known as like the David Lean lens. So it was created specifically for that shot. Like, there's stuff like that in this. Yeah. And, and, and as fascinating as, as the actual history is, I think it's it's notable um, that, like, with a lot of these movies, right, that there's certain conventions that were broken. I'm thinking, like, Fitzcarraldo, uh, Herzog filming A Magic Hour. Uh, you know, By the way, he wasn't he was Ratatouille. He, he wasn't. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad that wasn't like a fever dream or a Berenstain Bears thing. <laughs> uh, and then Kurosawa, you know, with, with the usage of... of <laughs> Well, they called it Toho Vision, didn't they? But like the uh, like that, there are all these technical innovations that really, I mean, they still hold up. You see the the restoration of this, and it's like, like it's people, dazzling. Yeah, like I could see where someone could be like not into the story, or maybe not even the runtime. But holy moly, is this a good looking movie? Like it makes you feel like you're in the desert, and yeah. that's that is such a rare thing. And and I feel like there's a lot of Contemporary filmmakers that can't pull that off with a you know a lot more a lot more technology. Yeah. But well, all right. So a couple a couple facts about it. a thousand people worked on the production of this. Uh, in, right. in cast, literal cast of yeah. thousands, right? <laughs> yeah, and um, I, I guess many of the crew members uh, because I, I probably knowing that this I mean on top of you know not wanting to hire even more extras I guess like 
knowing that this is going to be like a pretty historical, um, like epic film, a lot of the uh, crew members are like these like side roles. Like he wasn't rather, Troy. Yeah, I forgot. Like about uh, that. like one of the cameramen, I think, is the guy that drives the car uh, when when he picks up mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. like you know the kid and uh, Lawrence and is like, oh you oh you're gonna bring him in there, sir. Like that guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, so that's like one of the like crew members, like all the crew members were, were playing these like uh, extra parts. Cause they wanted to be like, yeah, I mean, this is a cast of thousands. I want to be in this too. Yeah. Yeah. Might as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a big, a big like left to right movement throughout the whole film too. That, that I guess was uh, like, that was intentional uh, in the filmmaking to make it seem like a journey, which, it's interesting because I didn't think about that until after watching it, but it actually, it, it is, it does feel that way, right? Like in the same way that, um, you know, we've, we've talked about in the past, uh, recently, I think Treasure Sharon Meandre, uh, about the searchers. I think like David, Tarantino. <laughs> uh, I, well, David Lean was like really into the searchers, uh, the John Ford movie. Uh, yeah. and, which is sort of like, again, because remember there was that mutual respect society uh, between him and Kurt, uh, um, between Ford and Kurosawa, yeah, as well, and so it's just interesting to see like this kind of almost like feedback loop of uh, innovation and taking inspiration and, and trying to see what the where else you can go with it. That like, which by the way, uh, David Lean listing off his favorite films of all time, Rashomon uh, is uh, is one of the first ones on the list. There you go, there you go. So yeah. I'll, I'll circle it back around, but it's it's. At a certain point, like how much bigger can you go? Also, Lawrence? also Jaws is on the list. <laughs> how much bigger can you go than Lawrence of Arabia? It's like as big as it's like the epic, right? I mean, yeah. like there's earlier stuff like Banner, sure, and and that's and that's fantastic, and it is a cast of thousands as well. But if you're talking about sweeping scope and scale, uh, the type of story that you're telling, like you know, hero's journey, however you want to uh, define it, like. It's still kind of one of the gold standards, right? It has yeah. to be timeless cinematography. Oh, this, this is this is and um the you know Bridge on the River Kwai, which is yeah. the movie that he and Alec Guinness is obviously stars in it. Um, I think um the other Jack some I forget I forget the guy's uh, name, but like the guy that plays General Allenby in this is uh is is a main character in Bridge on the River Kwai. Uh, Sam Spiegel right. who's the who's the producer of this is the yeah producer. yeah so like. They had just uh, Jack, Jack Hawkins. Jack Hawkins. Yeah. Uh, they had yeah. just come out of this massive success, which Bridge right. on the River Kwai, um, which is great. That's a great film. <laughs> yeah, but it made it made something crazy like uh like I don't know like a hundred to- or ten times what it costs to make. Like yeah, people were just going to see it in droves. So pr- basically, it was like you can make anything you want at that point, right? Like, and so of course you know uh, the story of Lawrence Arabia, which is something that had been stopped, stopped and started uh, something like twenty times over. Well, the what I'm saying it's it, it yeah. goes back so oh it goes back so far that John Wayne wanted to play the titular role that Alec Guinness wanted to play. That role before he got moved to Faisal, which by the way, Lawrence Olivier was originally going to play Faisal, which is a wildly different movie too, and not as, not as different as if uh, you're, you're Lawrence. Of, I'm I'm Lawrence, good sir. I'm also Lawrence. <laughs> I'm Lawrence of Olivier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it's it's just it's great. It's crazy to think like what what a epic and scope and scale it is now, and how it's remembered historically versus some of the great epics of the past that are sort of maybe like more footnotes right like like it, it holds up like this is this is in, in like i think it's afi uh 
top 250, uh, you know, IMDb, what like it's in all of the lists. Yeah. And if even if you don't, even if people have never seen it, they know what, oh, yeah, that is. That's that desert movie. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're running around the desert in that one, right? <laughs> and, and I mean, there is fat you can trim from this movie, but there's not a lot. Like, like it's, it's, yeah, it's so a huge minor. story. Like, yeah. Like, what, what you, you know, it's like, it's like seconds that you can cut uh, from, from scenes, not like, you know, uh, that, that much really. Well, if you're going to get how, any kind of, do you know how context. old, by the way, do you know how old um, Peter O'Toole was when they cast him in this? 27 28 he was 28 <laughs> years old wow okay well i guess elegant is definitely would have been too old then <laughs> how old was omar sharif uh, uh i i I'll, I'll look but i think he was he was a little bit older he he, he had a he's large awesome yeah well so he had a large um career uh in egypt and like you know in, right. in, in the middle east and yeah, so yeah. he had been in all of these films and he was really famous but like it just hadn't like reached that international uh international status yet um well he's in so dr this, this zhivago movie, yeah. uh you know yeah. but i think that's uh i think that's the next movie that, right? yeah. well that's the next movie that david lean made that's dr. right yeah 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 it's it, you're, it's like right after this yeah so his know. so the, this the david lean's three movie like uh run that he was on was bridge, bridge on the river Kwai, this <laughs> and then dr zhivago jesus christ what a run <laughs> the, my god <laughs> Sounds okay. <laughs> Does he need to make any more films after that? Yeah, probably not. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Omar Sharif's in Top Secret. <laughs> well, so Omar Sharif, at least, I, don't, I mean, I'm not sure how far ahead they cast him, but he was he was like 30 when this movie came out. So okay. he wasn't that, yeah, he wasn't that old either. Well, but he's one of those dudes that, like, it could be 22, it could be 45, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> he probably looks about the same, you know. <laughs> He lived to he lived to eighty three in two thousand fifteen, and then um, Peter O'Toole was like eighty something in uh, in in two thousand thirteen. So like yeah. both of them made it a long time. Also, Omar Sharif, you know, got got uh, put in the news again for slapping a woman outside of a film festival. Ooh, that was uh, that was like, but he was like he was like in his eighties and did that. Yeah, yeah. Well, That's why they didn't have any women on set. Apparently, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's a preventative measure. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Now that you bring that up, it, it totally is clear. <laughs> He just won't stop. We had this. We had this brilliant female role, but he just kept slapping her. This is always with the slapping. That one, uh, great, great at the acting. Unfortunately, also great at the slapping. Same thing with Sean Connery. <laughs> exactly. He should have been. He should have been in that uh, Jeopardy bit with Sean Connery. That's why they call me Egyptian. They they call me Egyptian Sean Connery. <laughs> it's not because of the looks. It's because of the slapping people. I, I think that when you're talking about the. So the evolution of the T. Lawrence, the Lawrence Arabia character, you know, there, there's a scene with Faisal where he says, like, you know, the, the classic, like, nothing is written, right? Yeah. And uh, speaking of uh, Sharif Ali, he says, he, he turns that around where he's like, for some men, nothing is written unless they write it. And I think that's, like, the key turning point to sort of understanding the story of, of where it is, where it's like, okay, dude, he's not, yeah. like, just going along in, in the drift of of what's happening here he's, he's taken he's a participant he's taken an active role in what he thinks is best based on the information that he has and that's where it comes out for a lot of people it starts getting deeply problematic because it's all white savior stuff uh but i think you know gene gave us a lot of context for that as well and that you can have your preconceived notions with what's happening i think that you know there, there's a, there's a rhyme to the fitz fitzcarraldo here right that the real fitzcarraldo not so nice of a guy actually not just a dreamer who liked opera uh you yeah know, real t lawrence much more complicated figure than the lawrence of arabia who just is like cool guy running around the desert doing cool guy stuff 
<laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> then eventually I, gets a bunch of people killed, and that's 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 actually what I I wanted to. And I wanted this when Gene was on, but it's fine. I think the depiction of the actual horrors of war when it gets down to like the battles is pretty fantastic, especially for the time. Because if you yes. think about this, is before we had. You know, we think of 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 war culture as being an endless recycling of, of Vietnam dramas, you know, and coming coming from like the seventies and from that type of just like really showing like how horrible this is. But if you if you look at even well regarded battle epics of earlier times from the sixties and before, it was sort of you know, bang bang, uh, and then like that's it, and then maybe you see a body, but like it, it's not like. Yeah, it's in a long shot somewhere. And yeah. Did you and, ever and see that... the uh, Sam Fuller documentary? The the uh, what is it? The camera lens, the typewriter, the whatever. I, I forget. It was like three things. No. Uh, <laughs> it, it's fantastic. Um, Quentin Tarantino's in it, like for some reason, it just speaks to the entire time. But Colonel the, Mustard with the, the candelabra in the in the study. Uh, but but the, <laughs> the Sam Fuller documentary, they, they have Sam Fuller there, and, and um, right. he, he says this interesting thing about uh, uh, depicting war and and uh, the olden days. Uh, you know, before like. Before right. Peckinpah, really. I, I think Peckinpah was kind of the first that really modernized. In this film, I think, you know, was a stepping stone. Like, you couldn't have had Peckinpah without the headshots in this movie. Um, but but uh, he said that, you know, I lied to people through film. Because when somebody gets shot in real life, their arm falls off. There'd be like a body part here, a body part there. Yeah. And in my films, they just fall over. Um, <laughs> right. And, and, and that's kind of a good, you know, way of thinking of it. And this movie actually gets... For the time, I mean, this is also during the Hayes Code, right? Like, or was it a? Yeah, but this code? is not. But this is not uh, yeah, Hollywood. It's not, it's not yeah. a code film at all. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 like, um, but still, they were very like conservative about these things. Um, well, the Hayes Code had kind of broken. I mean, we talked about it with Psycho, right? Like, the Hayes Code yeah. was breaking down by this point. But like, but yeah, I, we I also do, haven't had really Peckinpah break out at this point either. Yeah. I don't think because uh, Peckinpah was kind of the first one to really like elevate violence in his films. Yeah. And and that is like a, a thing, like a feature of the you know the Hayes Code breaking down because you know yeah. if you're looking to have your movie played internationally, like you still have to kind of conform to some of the Hayes Code stuff. I mean, like famously, like you have something like All Quiet on the Western Front, I guess, yeah, where the original uh, one, yeah, yeah, like a lot of the depiction is in the eyes, like uh, you know the like the eyes of war, and I think this movie does that well too. Um, you have you know because there's but there's like kind of a messiah thing going on this entire movie. Uh, where Definitely, you know, yeah. um, you know, Peter O'Toole comes back after you know, presumably getting raped. I mean, you know, like you can debate whether that's what happened, but that's really what they imply, like heavily, right? Like, yeah. there's yeah. the heavy implication is that like he meets some Turks and then, yeah, the historically, like, they say that he never was the same after that, uh, after being, yeah, arrested. right, right. So, so he, but he comes back, and that's kind of you know, when he's on his journey to Damascus, that's kind of his reincarnation moment, and they like kind of play that up, like, oh, well, he's back now, and this is like. He's reincarnated right, as like a new right. figure, but the reincarnation. <laughs> well, there's a road to Damascus uh, trope that that uh, yeah, that but just for a reason. Like a re, there's like a um, well, it's John, but not not uh, Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. There's his reincarnation uh, thing, right? Oh, like he, he, comes, he comes back with um, full bloodlust. Like he's fully, he's fully. I mean, I'm not yeah. even going to say like gone native or whatever. Like he, his, but there's like something is wrong. Like even in his eyes, you can see it. Like his bloodlust after that scene and his overall demeanor has like fully changed. And he's like in his full force, I guess. And uh, I don't know. It's kind of the depiction of that is so fucking wild. And I feel like this movie would not work definitely with someone like John Wayne. John Wayne couldn't play that. No, you know there's, no like, there's no way. It, it wouldn't, nobody <laughs> raped John Wayne. Well, okay. Look what, 
Look what, look Put what that com- thing away, Pilgrim. <laughs> but look what comes after this, right? Because we have like the Dirty Dozens a few years later. Battle of Algiers, which we've covered, yeah. is, is a little bit after this, which again shows war in a completely uh, different style. You know, and you see, see like the. the uh, the National Liberation Front's like struggle for independence for like, French control that like it looks like a documentary sometimes, right? Like the entire like the, all of the methodology for showing the conflicts uh, starts to change. And it's interesting. I never really thought about it because I, I think of it more as like, of course, there's guns in here, but it's like more like, no, this is like a low tech war, mostly with knives and stuff like that. But you really get the, the scale of the carnage is like one of the ugliest things. Uh, in the entire film, I mean, it, it, it's pretty gruesome. I mean, I guess you have you know, Paz of Glory, right? Yeah, that that was before this, but uh, you know, but but like the violence isn't really shown like this. Is, yeah, um... you don't see it as much, and 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 I and it's interesting because you think like Platoon, Apocalypse Now, and uh, you know, like Full Metal Jacket, all all those films of of uh, like seventies or whatever became much more commonplace to just show it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that, again that goes back to Peckinpah, which which we've not covered any of his stuff, uh, and I think that's really strange. Yeah, we, we absolutely although should. I, although point. I've put uh, I've put his stuff in several of our like intros, like little like scenes. From yeah. Various. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that that's I think that that's all uh, that's all true. The scale of the carnage in this is 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 horrific. Um, like you know, in a way that I don't even think in modern movies like I, I've seen something so like because there's right. no CGI because there's no you know, because they have to actually show it. And, and it's in that really, huge yeah. wide scoped lens, just like you have those beautiful vistas and, and sweeping, uh, you know, uh, beautifully shot cin- uh, cinematography, like the sweeping vistas and things like that, that like it's it's put towards like, oh yeah, this is what that looks like. What did you think this was gonna look like? This is what it looks like and it's horrendous. And this is One of this the, is the actual cost of this war. Um, Like, like I don't know if you guys, uh, Conan, you said this is your first time watching it the full four hours. All the the entire through. time. Yeah, I've seen yeah. it. I, I could probably say I technically I've seen it before that, but it was like, you know, asynchronously as we'll change. It, it's in the same boat here. Right. Yeah. So, so the, the Akaba, the, the first half, right? Like the Akaba battle, you really don't yeah. see the battle take place. I mean, you do, you see them, right. like you see them uh, charge and then you see gunfire come at them. And, you know, there's the moments where you see him, um, like, you know, plug his, the guy that he went all the way back into the desert to save and then, you know, instantly shoots a guy. It has. To I know. Excellent. Oh, what a heartbreaker! Yeah, yeah. and um, and but, the, but then even Lawrence is like, "Take no prisoners," in that thing. Take no prisoners, and then like, well, they didn't yeah. take any prisoners. So, so I'm saying, so yeah, so you see, um, so you see that part of it, right? And then, but then the the final battle of Damascus or whatever is is so much bloodier and so much uh more epic in in scope, yeah. I guess, and so much more um like realistic like but they they build into it they build up to it within those four hours like you don't you don't it doesn't it's not like you see violence all the way through which is kind of a fascinating way to do it because they're at war the entire time but you don't see um like the full four hours are not rife with violence like there's a little bit of violence a little bit of violence and then there's just carnage for the last what like hour of it uh, and that's uh, uh um yeah the the civilized ottoman train massacre yeah right? that's probably the closest thing to that that, that you see which is which is nuts because then you see they're all like they're looting like yeah yeah and they're like grabbing this stuff and it's like you see like the guy <laughs> that just clock like, uh, yeah the <laughs> clock is amazing what it would do. Yes. that's what i imagine like uh 1900s fox news would be like they're like we now cut live to this ottoman train getting <laughs> what are the they fo- gonna do with the fox news you can't hang the clock in yeah. a tent says you know uh, it's the caravan they're stealing clocks oh, now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why i was like what about tribe on tribe violence like the whole movie 
because there's like there's like the civilization <laughs> versus barbarism question throughout sure. this. and then yeah uh lawrence is kind of the media the mediation between the two but yeah. like kind of they, they make it seem kind of reluctant at first and then obviously he gets raped and all bets are off he goes uh you know he, he goes full like promising young woman or whatever the fuck the <laughs> but but like um like is, wait, isn't that the movie about the Saltburn lady that, that goes? Everyone yeah, yeah. made that made that movie. It's far superior to Saltburn, in my opinion. But yeah, I I, I got the reference. Now, but like also like in the uh, that's just I was surprised to hear it. Uh, <laughs> like when you see Lawrence at the train and like the guys like going to shoot him, right? And like it, it's played at like you really it, it's kind of juiced for um, for dramatic effect, uh, and then he does shoot him. Just kind of wings him, and then like it's not on screen that like he gets got with the sword, but the sword guy, and, and then and then our 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 journalist guy like pops out and like whoa that dude killed that dude with the sword that's wild let me take a picture I've never seen that before yeah. and then the guy and then the guy the guy's like no that that'll take my soul right yeah I, yeah he's I just love, like I also love the um. He, he's getting he's getting very messianic throughout that whole sequence, right? That's his, right. Uh, that's what you see, right? The... That that's the buildup. That that's in the life of Brian, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you will, but, that's the buildup. Yeah, and, and that <laughs> line too, of like you know, only a golden bullet can kill me. It, yes. Yeah, but it's yeah. it's so funny because you know that like a motor, like a uh, you know a pretty mild motorbike motorbike accident kills him. So you're yeah. like, oh man, like because he's, yeah, he's so terrible. No dodging. Bullet? He's dodging like you know multiple bullets, pretty much like they go past him, yeah. and it's like he's like he's like you know he's on the vista, and then it's like, bro, you're gonna die by just kind of hitting a bush. Like, he's like the magical honky most of the movie, and then suddenly he gets got yeah. by his own motorcycle. Uh, but uh, that's a weird way to start this this movie, I think, too. Like, cause you're like, what? I thought is this is this the main dude? Like, what's happening? <laughs> I I was watching Scorsese talking about this movie and like how it influenced uh, later stuff that he did, okay. and he was talking about how. Um, like because you're watching this whole thing from the point of view of Lawrence, kind of right. Like you're in his in right. his space, watching it literally out of his eyes as he like meets his death. Uh, you know, just on a nice country drive. <laughs> the one thing they can kill him is just country roads. Yeah, but, um, like like he goes through like yeah these interlacing conflicts. <laughs> he's he's like you know again crosses that biblically crosses the desert in yeah. in, in a trip that it is it is. It hi highly implied, if not outright suggested, that you know there's not a good survival rate for this. Survives all that, and then like yeah, crashes a motorcycle. Like he's kind of, I mean, he does compare himself to Moses crossing the desert. <laughs> he hits the burning bush. That's what he. <laughs> but my uh, my favorite story about actually E. Lawrence that's not in this movie was the very yeah. first battle he was in. Um, he gets right. thrown from his uh, camel. He gets up to figure out why and realizes he accidentally shot the camel in the back of the head. See, Ooh. all right, so they shot that. They shot that, but some whatever happened during that shoot spooked the camel. I mean, they they probably wow. put a gun up against the camel. Yeah, so it spooked the camel, throws throws the actual Peter O'Toole from the camel. He hits the ground. That's when he fucking fractured his spine. Almost dies. No joke. Really? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Wow. And this was he had to learn how to ride a camel for this. And uh what I learned this month is never go on location to shoot anything. Do it all yeah. in the shot. So, so he ended up he ended up coming up with a, a strategy after that, which is that he would just um he would just put like a, a ring of ice packs, pretty much like you know like like ice and like bubble wrap kind of stuff around his body, uh, so that like he'd he'd always be cushioned from the camel. And yeah. Then he got bit by a camel, so. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> did he punch the camel at all? Like, like, like Schwarzenegger uh, did. A big problem, though. A big problem uh, about that, though. This is that's why you don't see the Akaba fighting. I think, but a big part of that is also yeah. he was just hammered on the camel. Like he, he was. Well, that's not going to help. Yeah, so he was drunk <laughs> off. His, so he was drunk off his ass trying to stay on a camel, and then yeah. they 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 mimed the shooting of the camel, and I think I guess the gunshot like scared the camel, who then throws like a an incredibly drunk uh, Peter O'Toole off of him into the fucking onto the just whatever. He landed better that, being drunk. But they said that like he got within inches of actually dying. Jeez. Yeah, like yeah. I said, he did. You know, he, he kept loose because he was drunk and uh, would have been much worse <laughs> if he was uh, if he was sober. He also he also would disappear though. He would disappear with uh, Omar Sharif. They'd go into Egypt and start gambling. So he ended up gambling more than what his salary was for the movie uh, during the like all the money he had on him oh, during the shoot of the movie. Just, just living out treasure, <laughs> Sharon Andre. Yeah, I mean, you got all right. You got Michael Douglas slapped in the face with uh, alligators. You had uh, Jason Robards contracting dysentery. Uh, <laughs> like it seems again. It seems like just I don't know. Don't if you got a chance to go shoot an epic outside, just watch yourself. <laughs> Apparently, because there's a lot of a uh, lot of animals that. Uh, <laughs> and, and you know, they also do say that that crocodile was the uh, Omar Sharif of alligators. <laughs> I appreciate this is not modern veterinary advice. I appreciate that. <laughs> Whatever happened to uh, you know the, the the Joe Camel, the strong and, and silent type? You know, like... <laughs> I don't know. He got banned whenever we were kids. Uh, when I was a kid, so you know, there you go. Is that from The Sopranos? That's Tony Sopranos. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, That's cool. the, whatever happened to Gary Cooper? But yeah, <laughs> I got it. Uh, shall we do letterbox one liners? Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. So Letterboxd, of course, a place for film lovers to talk at with and to each other about the movies they love, maybe the movies that they didn't love, uh, the movies that they insist are queer-coded, this one. And, <laughs> of course, it's not just the Siskels and Eberts of the world. Everyone gets to have their say. Uh, Bottom-up democracy, uh, best expressed succinctly for the purposes of this bit, uh, where they're collected together and presented uh, for us to react to. These are the Letterbox one-liners. Four, Lawrence of Arabia. Let's go. Watch it in three settings with my parents. At some point, my dad turned to me and said, they really aren't trying to make this guy look good. Which is kind of, which is funny because his brother had script approval. Right. <laughs> it's different times, man. His brother's like, I, I have grudges, so... <laughs> Even the screenshot is epic, by the way. Can I just point that out? But yeah, yeah. They call him Orance because he doesn't take L's. <laughs> Dude, it's so fucking relatable as someone that's been called like Orist before, like Boris, like uh, Florist. Like I've had people like just mishear what like which you you wouldn't think that they'd mishear it that much, but like oh, for them to call him like to think his name is like L Orance, I'm like sounds like me. Like I'm Forest of Arabia. That's why I made that yeah. joke. <laughs> Lawrence was wild and. Yeah, he really he really is like a manic pixie dream, <laughs> dream Brit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's I love how Lawrence is always about to cry or about to slay or both. <clears throat> yeah. He's smart enough to not. He's smart enough to like not cry usually in front of like in front of the men. Don't right, let right. me cry in front of the men. Exactly. Saves that for, for private. <laughs> All that to die on a motorbike. Right. Yikes. That's the thing. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, though, like, you know, the, the whole Jesus story, right? Like, he's resurrected. You don't find out, like, I don't know what the fuck happens to Jesus. Like, they, they don't cover that. He died so on a motorbike you know, is what I... 
So for all you know, like Jesus got thrown from a camel and then died again or something. Like they were trying to do a gun stunt with Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so many camels. Yeah, I I feel actually kind of bad for uh for Peter O'Toole like because he he got so fucked up by having to you know two years on the, on the back of a camel pretty much for this whole shoot and then every time he went to places like David Letterman uh had him come out on the back of a camel like <laughs> it's the last thing you want is to be on a camel yeah. are you kidding me <laughs> I, I camels will... are like really like bastards I mean I've ridden a camel before they they're, they're yeah. not fun yeah they they haven't met a um. Marine World Africa USA. I've ridden a camel and an elephant, both. I've only, I've only ridden horses. I've ridden yeah. quite a few horses. But. Speaking of horses, I'll say the one and only time that I paused the movie was because when when they uh, they're riding the camels, the the group's riding the camels, and then the the guy comes in uh, with the with the horse. I was I was like, were he being horses, right? And then and then I was trying to remember what the distinction was with horses and like where where they came from, this and that. Anyway, I paused the movie and read up a lot about Arabian horses, uh, <laughs> and, and that was literally the only time that I would even have dared to pause this movie. But, there's but, also there's also quite a few sheep in there uh, in their convoy during that final battle. And I'm like, did they did, like those sheep had to have died? Like, did they just like is that like grilled sheep? Like the sheep get hit hit by fucking artillery or something, and they're like. Yeah, I don't know. I, that's 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 for the smaller members of the of the party. Yeah. They're, they're, riding, they're riding like a lamb, lambs exactly. to the slaughter. Ah, uh, yes, not a woman in sight, just boys being boys. Promising young chap. It, it is a. It's very much a dudes rock movie, for sure. Lawrence Mudib of Arabia. <laughs> His eyes are glowing in this. His eyes Let's are see. so blue. Yeah. <laughs> the turk when the turks take him hostage yeah and they're like looking at him they're like trying to figure out like what like you know where is this guy from like they're trying to figure out like who like is he like some kind of weird arab they've never seen before like and they're like dude his yeah. eyes are blue and his hair his hair is fucking blonde dude like what yeah, what, do what, you, what do you think is happening here yeah exactly dune prequel add a worm in and it would have been a five out of five <laughs> imagine, imagine this movie with a worm, but they don't mention that there's gonna be like you know what I mean. Like it's just, it just shows within up. the four hours span. Yeah. Just, like, they're like, ah, oh, we got to get past the sandworms. You're like sandworms, sandworms. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, he just he just randomly rides one into Erebus. Yeah, that's 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 uh you know a lot of people some people dip out um after the intermission so they don't remember that uh, one of the sandworms shows up after that yeah yeah kt actually not only did she dip out she actually walked home from the theater that she was at and she didn't drive um because she left the person who drove her to the theater at the theater wow that's mad boy yeah. <laughs> i've been mad at movies before but i don't know if i've ever been that mad that, that that's a, that was impressive <laughs> yeah the rage is impressive Alec Guinness has the most bizarre screen presence of all time. Why does he speak like he's casting an ancient enchantment? Uh, <laughs> Prince Faisal, that's a name I have not heard in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Those are Lotterbox Monlanders. For Lawrence of Arabia, please follow the show at Movie Night Extra for our HQ account. We're posting stories of all the many wonderful episodes that we're doing, all the attendant content that comes within. Follow us there. Forest of Arabia is at Always Flacco. What about <laughs> Tribe on Tribe Violence? That's all we're asking. That's all we're asking. You can follow him. Fucking Fox, like, like 20th century, like, British Fox News would have been so insufferable. Oh, my they're God. Just, they're, they're, like, they're like, yeah, yeah, perhaps we could end colonialism, but what about Tribe on Tribe Violence? I don't seem to be anyone, see anyone in the anti-colonial movement upset about that. 
I am Kona Neutron at Kona Neutron. Neutron Varakis is what they call me on the streets, on the on the sandy streets. And uh, you can follow me for uh, the highbrow, the uh, the populist fair, uh, the middle tier, all that stuff. Uh, Criterion Challenge. You can join me on that if you feel so inclined, or just follow along. Film school dropouts, doing all that stuff at Kona Neutron on Letterbox. J. Andrew White Devil World is an experienced twenty-seven. <laughs> And he is <laughs> logging all the weirdest stuff so you don't have to, or maybe you can, not for me to judge, on Letterbox at right about now, too. Uh, please follow him as well. Uh, White Devil, take us away with, with the plugs, please. Wait, I got it. We got to do our, we got to do our, uh... tonight's podcast is brought to you by Yebiga, a Balkan Rakia spirit, plum brandy that springs Serbia to the American shores in an authentic and appreciative way. Care of Billy Gould, basis for faith no more, and Rakia appreciator. Rakia is a traditional spirit enjoyed at weddings, funerals, and life events. However, more and more, it's being enjoyed everywhere, on a night out with friends, or as a casual drink. Get a bottle today in liquor stores and bars across America. Go to yabiga.com to see where it's available near you. Yabiga, we speak its name. I like how I uh, managed to find random ancient Serbian copyright-free music this week, (laughs) and and I I typed in uh, Arabic music copyright-free for that intro. Right. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, what are you going to do for next week? Tune in and find out, people. Yeah. White Devil, take <laughs> us away with the plugs, please. Little, little, uh, like, like fucking, like racist. Like a, a white guy clearly made this uh, Native American music a long time. That's why it's copyright free, people. Um, <laughs> well, if you're watching us on YouTube right now, please do those YouTube things: like, comment, subscribe, hit the bell, and of course, the big ask um, because we all serve the algorithm. Uh, watch the video to the end. That allows other movie fans to find our content. And that allows you to hear that great Conan Neutron song, which is the last time it's being played this year. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> it is half as long as the film in question. <laughs> as opposed to ones where it's twice as long as the film in question. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Movie Night Adventure theme to be retired. Until next time. Until until next time. Yeah, exactly. It's it's, it's never never says goodbye when it's an adventure. Just until next time. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel, like be, that's like a, I feel like that's a line for like, like we never we never say goodbye. We only say till next time. It's true. <laughs> it's, uh, but yeah, yeah, that's that's true. That's true. I, I like that one. That's a good one. He's yeah. looking at you. He's looking at you, theme. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'll probably uh, you know there'll probably be something down the line. I can probably get. Yeah, it. I mean, Sam Peckinpah. Come on, let's do it. Maybe we can. Uh, our time to bring at Fantasia to anyway. Whatever. whatever. Yeah, whatever. That, there's a lot because we need to still talk about Twitch. If you're if you're watching us over on Twitch, do the Twitch thing. Throw us a sub. If you happen to have an Amazon Prime account, uh, you can actually subscribe to us for free. Does not cost you a dime, but actually really genuinely helps us out. Uh, get so, us at least one dime. Yes, possibly. <laughs> More like a eventually. fraction of a penny. I don't yeah, know. Fraction. I don't know how this works. Um, but yeah, eventually we'll have a dime for that. But yeah. we thank you very much if you're if you're able to to do any of that stuff. Um, of course, uh, you know, find us on social media. We're on X or Twitter. I, I uh, live named X. I can't believe that she did name Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Whatever it is, uh, and uh, uh, Blue Sky Instagram. Uh, threads facebook you know find us uh, wherever you happen to get your social media chances are we're there um this is how we are yeah so so find us at those uh those places and say hi yes we, and if you also want to say hi to us join our discord 
Um, we just did a movie night on Sunday, which we was did. a lot of fun. That was great. Christina hosted uh, a viewing of Oppenheimer, and that was, yes. uh, that was lovely. That was nice, yeah, to, nice to see it on a small screen, like the director intended. Yes. <laughs> in a smaller window on the small screen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> in, a, in a small browser window with a bunch of ads running, as the director intended. <laughs> No, no, that's true. Uh, join the Discord. D- Discord is great. It's, it's if you like chiming in on the chat, uh, it's like that except for archival. <laughs> yeah, I remember trying to watch uh, Nomad Land in Discord at one point. Yeah, and being like, and being like, this is this is this is hard to. <laughs> this is not how this is meant to be seen. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine doing Lawrence of Arabia in the Discord? <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> I think people would die. Yeah, what's happening? I can't even see. Do I need, I need a magnifying? Is that a dude? <laughs> is he riding towards us? What's happening? Is he is, is that a guy in brown face or is he really a is he really is he really an Arab? <laughs> I don't know. That, that blur sounds sounds like uh, Obi Wan Kenobi, but I'm not sure. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah. But yeah, we have a Discord. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Pop over there and have more hijinks like that. I'll, I'll, I'll throw I'll throw a link in the chat. I think we're we're, we're keeping it pretty loosey goosey. Eventually, it's going to be patrons only, but we're. We're trying to make it happen. So speaking of patrons, you we have a yes. Patreon. Um, yes. you know, uh, you can you can join it and get access to our after parties, which uh we've been talking about so many other things we didn't get a chance to talk before the show about an after party this uh today. Oh yeah. And uh I don't know if we're up I guess, for it. <laughs> and I guess yeah. we're still not. <laughs> I'm down. That's fine. I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 I have nothing going on. Okay, yeah, I mean, I'd go either way, but, uh, you know, I just wanted to... Cool. Uh, oh, yeah, Lawrence of Arabia. We're going to do a lot of intermission, and then we'll come back for the final part of our show where we're... Uh, I mean, I have I, I saw, like, <laughs> ten clips. Yeah. Uh, link link to the discords in the chat for uh, for folks that were, were looking for that. Uh, join up. We're, we're, we're using it more and more, and... We like it because it's our space. People are talking about it more and more. The movie day it's, it's not just uh, oh, everybody's talking about it more and more. <laughs> Much discussion, uh, but you know, I, I like that it's not. I mean, I guess it is a wall garden still, but you know, it's not. It's not subject to the algorithm. So uh, we have various yes. uh, text channels for things. Give us your cinematic hot takes. That's it. That's yeah. Behind idea. our world garden, Christina dropped one and then didn't defend it. She just took off. <laughs> Which is hilarious. Kind of a power move, frankly. Truly, truly. Um, he was trying to probably get people to argue with her in, on Twitch, and she's like, "She said Clint Eastwood sucks," and then she like didn't bother to clarify or defend her position. Okay, her John Wayne. <laughs> I, was, I was like, "All right," I mean, and and someone was like, "As an actor, as a director," and she was not there to answer. <laughs> Which is funny because she's as, the biggest actor. As an, an RNC, as an RNC speaker. <laughs> anyway, whatever. Yes, uh, Conan is over there, you know, yes. showing off Protonic Reversal behind him. True, because that True. logo is the ever presence in our episode. Um, That's right, free advertising for me on, exactly. on a show that is far less popular. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, maybe, maybe after you know another uh, what thousand episodes, we'll, we'll you know we'll catch up to you <laughs> in popularity. Exactly. No, nobody will notice a, a difference. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yes. But uh, who who was on this week? Uh, yeah, so the Zach Blair episode is the one that's now up for uh, in in the general feed. I've got Greg Norton from Husker Du coming back on. Mm. So if you're oh, I was gonna, I should have said I've got a guess that'll flip your wig. But that, that's, <laughs> that, 
That would have worked because that's the name of Husker Drew Wickard. But yeah, uh, who's also in a fantastic um, new band as well. And that's exciting because when I had him on last time, which was a very, um, very all-encompassing episode, Ultra Bomb wasn't a thing yet. And we've been talking about doing this for a while. So, uh, but yeah, we, th- that was a pretty, that last episode was really comprehensive. I expect this to be the same. Greg's awesome. So glad, glad to have him back. And uh, that should be a good one. All right. And, and of course, uh, you can get all of that early. Uh, Thursday is 86, oh, yeah. 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific, ProtonicReversal.com, streaming on YouTube and Twitch. And you can get these episodes early by going to uh, uh, Patreon and subscribing there, a dollar a month. Yep. Gets you early episodes, so booyah. I just dropped a Patreon exclusive that is a montage of all the why do you do what you do answers from episode 201 to 369. I really like that you asked that question for Platonic. I feel like that's a good good, segue into having a a larger discussion about stuff. It's kind of cool, like because obviously some people go for like a really short, funny answer. Some people go really in depth and like get philosophical about. It. Like it's it's pretty and it's kind of interesting to hear it all at once. And I did that for episode two hundred, and a bunch of people liked it. And they're like, "Are we ever gonna do that again?" And I'm like, "That was a lot of work, so probably not." But I did it, so there you go. And uh, yeah, it's it's pretty cool, and it's three hours long. <laughs> so it's it's just that question, three hours long. You don't, I don't say who it is. You have to figure that out. But that's the point: is it's not about any one person; it's about everybody answering that. So there you go. I like the, uh, the 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 pre like the pre nineties version of that though. It was to be like, well, to get pussy, of course. So <laughs> get laid, clearly. Yeah, it's only really good. Why would you do anything else? Yeah. Well, one day, one day, I heard a girl say, "I like a guy who plays guitar," so I learned guitar. Yeah, that's all it was. Yeah, and you know who else plays guitar is uh, Conan Neutron over there. And, that's right. Um, uh, you can you can go to uh, uh, check out his band Conan Neutron and Secret Friends over at neutronfriends.bandcamp.com. Yep, and uh, we have tour dates uh, early March with McCluskey, Los Angeles, San Francisco. We're playing Bakersfield as well, and Ventura. Uh, uh, yeah, actually, uh, Greg Norton was also in Gang Fun. Yeah, uh, we uh, we talked about that last time with Dave King from the Bad Plus. We talked we did talk about that last time. Um, what the record show, Uh-oh. but yeah, if you want to see me play music on the West Coast, you're stoked. <laughs> or else it's gonna wait. <laughs> but there's gonna be some other. I uh, can't. I can't announce them until like three three weeks from now. But th- there's some other stuff coming up too. So not just West Coast. Okay, very cool. And um, you know, uh, Adult Prom, of course, is your new split LP with Lung. You yep. know, check that out. Uh, get that from again neutronfriends.bandcamp.com. Catterwall. Yes. Which May 24th through Monday, May 27th, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Mortimer's and Palmer's. Uh, full band announcement went out this week, which is all these bands. And uh, four-day pass is available now. Single-day pass is available on Monday along with the schedule. So Fun Machine officially spun back up for that. Yes. Uh, I got to say Scrunchies is the uh, band I'm second most excited to see now. There you go. We got Dead coming over from Australia, part Chimp from the UK. Uh, it's it's going to be a good time. We've, we've got Oxbow. We've got uh, Brainiac. guys... Brainiac's playing. It's crazy. Jay Robbins from Jawbox. Anyway. Well, wasn't one of the guys from uh, who was playing with USA Nails is actually uh, part of uh, part Chimp? Oh, I... um, Blacklisters. Uh, does he play part Chimp too? I don't think so. I don't uh, know. 
Am I, the drummer am I getting for USA Nails is in Blacklist. You know what, man? This is we'll, we'll save for yeah, that. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you think so? And he was he was on it for his bit TV. So yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. you know, Christina's not here, but uh, you know, I just want to direct people to her Patreon if you want to help her out. What do you mean? She's right here. Yeah. Oh, Christina, <laughs> I didn't see you there. <laughs> Subscribe to me on Twitch. <laughs> but yeah, ch check out her Twitch channel. Um, you know, support her over on uh, Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com Cosmopolitics uh, slash. There's a slash in there. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, th those are your marching orders there. Um, oh wait, and. Uh, Gene isn't really streaming much right now. So, uh, but you can check him out if you want to hear more from Gene. He just did an episode with Ben about Battlestar Galactica. Nice. So, you know, if you want a fun little dive into uh, early 2000s politics and Battlestar Galactica, you, you got a, a great chance to hear more from Gene there. It, we really haven't had him on this show in a really long time. It's yeah, I know. And, and I enjoy having him on earlier, but no, he's great. Well, he yeah, was like always great. helping out with putting together uh, the This Is Revolution episodes. All the crossover that. episodes, yeah. <laughs> It'd be funny if Christina got on late, a woman showing up at the end, like the nuns in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. I what posted else, those pictures from uh, I posted those pictures from a year ago when we all went to the city to do to like work on the Oh, uh, for the uh, uh, this is that's revolution. crazy. That was, yeah, that's crazy. That was like a year ago, but that's for crazy. some reason, uh, for some reason, Matt Leck apparently thought he was Jake, like the like the the other argument producer, and like like screenshot of the picture of just like Jake's face. I was like, wow, I was really gone. That doesn't even look like me. <laughs> and I just looked at it. I was like, that's not even you. That's, that's because it isn't you. <laughs> it's a good reason why. Good reason. Why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was talking talking with marcus for hours about sports i guess i don't know which is funny because i'm not even into sports yeah. like i was definitely yeah, talking about baseball i remember that oh yeah I'm, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah okay it's coming back to me now that yeah, year-long yeah, yeah. conversation i had while inebriated it was coming back to me now yeah <laughs> and, and uh the venue if i remember correctly yes which we still have not had him on yet for but we should do that yes we absolutely should but i think that's it for the plugs if you want to Take it away for us. I think we're, yeah. uh, well, except the fact that we're doing Oscar month uh, starting next yes. week with Killers of Fire Moon with Karthik, who has not been on in a minute. Yeah, we, we got to get our brown friends who haven't been on for a while. <laughs> <laughs> he, well, and, and when he's been on recently, it's when I've been out. So I haven't seen, I haven't been on stream with him for a really long time. But uh, yeah. yeah, he's a big Killers of the Fire Moon supporter. So that, that should be a supporter. What is like a political party? Anyway. <laughs> he's voting Killers of the Flower Moon this year. So it's going to be a political like party Killers when he's on. Flower Moon and I vote. <laughs> uh, he's, a, he's a big booster for that. We we dropped all the episodes we're doing. We're doing Killers of the Flower Moon. We're doing uh, Past Lives. We're doing Holdovers. Uh, we're doing May, December, which was unfairly snubbed. Uh, we're doing uh, American fiction and poor things and really excited about discussing all those got a murderer's row of folks that are coming on that are uh, in the orbit of this show. So, so and then we're doing, of course, we're live streaming the actual Oscars too, like right after we get back from tour. So and hashtag things like Oscars. El Conde. I would love to talk about El Conde. We did not fit it in. Uh, but yeah, the Pinochet, Van a.k.a. the Pinochet vampire movie. It's great. I, I I think only me and Eileen Jones saw it. I feel, <laughs> but it's great. 
I was going to say where the hashtag things like Oscars, Oscars 2024, <laughs> uh, Academy Awards, right. uh, Academy Awards stream. <laughs> exactly. Award-winning stream. Uh, <laughs> what no, award? no, people won awards on the stream. I'm not saying our stream won a... <laughs> like what what awards i don't know tune in to find out yeah, exactly. <laughs> tune in to find out indeed but uh andy final thought <laughs> on uh lawrence of arabia and we're gonna jump to the after after party so we're probably you know like a good summation but we'll have more time to discuss it too yeah it's not yeah, yeah. no th this is a a absolutely beautiful film uh like i said you know the is there a fad in the film yeah but it's like we're talking seconds uh as opposed to like you know entire scenes or anything like that it's it's um sure. No, nothing <laughs> <laughs> yes no names um it, it it's it's incredible like like it, it really does tell a, a great story um it has you know such great moments of like you know build up suspense and and pays off uh, for the most part uh which is great too and it, you know uh because they did everything so well it became so influential you see it in you know star wars and stargate and uh probably star trek now uh at this point uh you know to make the star trilogy complete but um it, it really is just a, a you know a fantastic film and uh, i'm kind of glad we actually got to talk a little bit about the politics and the history too as well because uh you know movies like this sometimes need a little bit of that yeah need context conan yeah, I think this is correctly regarded as one of the greatest cinematic achievements and most beautiful films ever made. You know, I think it's just a great movie. And it's uh, you can take aside the fact that it's a colonialist epic, but the action sequences, the shot composition, cinematography, the lighting, this film transports. And there's a laundry list of amazing things it's influenced that are as stunning as the filmmaking. Andy mentioned a couple of them just now. I think Peter O'Toole is very compelling and maybe slightly baffling as a leading man here, but I think the offness is something I actually find that quite enjoyable. The brown face is a bummer, but I think this is a beautiful sandstorm of an epic that's uh, correctly regarded in history as a piece of art. And even if there may be problems with the story it is telling being correct, it's still an epic tale. So very cool to close this out for Adventure Month. Also bring back intermissions. <laughs> I, uh, I I like the detail that like they didn't even think to cast uh, any like Arabs in lead roles. Just like they're just surprised that like Omar Sharif showed up and was like, "I'll I'll audition for this." They're like, "Oh, oh, huh. we, did, we didn't for, think for the role of sure, sure. the role of Sharif Ali." You, you think you can? Oh, we, we can't have you as an Englishman. <laughs> that would have been great if he was like the general. Yeah, we're like, trying to get a French guy to play him. Yeah. And then the first yeah, guy yeah. We're, we were going to get a, a Sir Bartholomew to uh, play that role, but I guess you could do that. <laughs> Lawrence. I, Lawrence. I'm actually surprised Roger Delgado's out of this movie. Lawrence. Like he's a I, Brit. I, I don't think, I don't think us Arabs are very barbaric, do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's so, and, and, and I mentioned it uh, earlier, like it's so funny to have watched Life in Times of Colonel Blimp. Which is not an amazing title, but like it's based off of like the, it's like a, a, a comic that was around in uh, in the UK Times, and and they basically made this incredibly uh, sprawling, gorgeous uh, Powell Pressburger epic about it that is is surreptitiously anti-war, uh, in a very funny way, but it's hilarious that it's like having seen that in the same month as this without really thinking about what we were ending it with. I was just like, oh yeah, keep meaning to see this. Let's see this. I was like, wow, this is awesome, but. Yeah, this goes to show you two sides of the same coin to a certain degree. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Join us for the after party. Yeah, here, I'll listen more. After party. <laughs> Where we're gonna hear about all the other movies I saw this month. Hint, and, it's a uh, lot. <laughs> and uh, you know, I might I might show up in brown face. 